Welcome to episode 21 of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. So last time we spoke, we ended up quarantining at a random hotel room after testing positive for COVID. Not the best way to take a break, but it definitely gave us the time to rest our legs. And after staying hauled up for almost a week, we were able to get back on our feet and complete our journey all the way to Santiago de Compostela. Yay! Of course, due to the quarantine, we did have to skip a few steps. Yes, and let's discuss these steps in Takeoff, where we talk about itinerary for the week. Since we lost a week to the COVID quarantine, we knew we had to take a bus to catch up on the stages we'd missed, because, well, we have a return flight already booked and a limited amount of time to finish the Camino. So we walked back to Muros de Nalon, where we had left off, and we took the bus to Vielba, roughly 120 kilometers from Santiago, which is where we would have landed if we had kept walking. Vialba is where we said goodbye to the coast. At this point, we are going inland across Galicia, the last province that we're going to visit in Spain, to reach Santiago. As we mentioned in a previous episode, we booked private rooms with private bathrooms for the rest of our journey with the following stops. Vialba, Bahamonde, Miras, Sobrado dos Monses, Goimil, Lavacoya, and finally, Santiago. We want to warn people that as you approach Santiago, the prices do go up, especially around the weekend, because there are many more people who do the last 100 kilometer, and often in large groups, so there's more demand. But there are also way, way more albergues once you're two or three days away from Santiago. You know, no sweat, you'll be able to find a place to stay. Unfortunately, for our case, since we had to go for the private room options, the albergues did not help us because we had to mostly book pensions. Since we were catching up this week, it was a whole lot of walking and no breaks until Santiago. But that still gave us time to experience some really neat stuff, as we're about to discuss in our next segment, In-Flight Entertainment. Before Lalba, we want to mention stopping in Luarca and bumping into our friends Benji, Sophia, and later Carl and Leslie. The Camino truly provides. So when we had to take a bus to get to Bilalba, there was actually a stop where we had to transfer to a different bus. And that bus stop was in Luarca, this gorgeous city. I was so happy to see Benji and Sophia like frantically waving at us from across town because they saw us as they were walking the Camino. And I was so sad that we would never see them again, but we did get to see them this one last time. And it was just a really beautiful friendship moment. And after that, we landed in Vialba. We arrived on a Saturday night, which meant we left on a Sunday morning. And our first surprise of the day was that there was a giant <laughs> horde of local tourists, all wearing Hivis jackets, that we think were they were just doing like one stage of the uh, Camino, because we saw them later uh, in Bamon, which was our goal for the day. And then we did not see them anymore. 
But because they were all there, there was easily 60, 80 people, I would say. They took over all of the cafes and we didn't have a chance to order any food. So we had to find an open grocery store on a Sunday morning in Spain. Let me tell you, that is a challenge. Uh, in general, the last 100 kilometers on the Camino del Norte, before you link up with the Camino Frances, is very sparse. There's very few villages, there's very few towns, and because of that, very few supermarkets and actual places where you can find food and drink. So because of that, you have to carry groceries with you, and you have to really appreciate the vending machines that you find on the way. Another thing that's interesting about Villalba is that studying in Galicia, so Villalba for, was for us the first stop in Galicia proper, there are countdown markers on the side of the road, every 100 meters or so, with very precise distances until you arrive in Santiago, something like 113.436 kilometers left. I'm not a huge fan of them because they happen so frequently, you really feel like you're making zero progress. But Juan, you like them, right? Yeah, I think they're absolutely great. And I would pass the time playing a game with myself, guessing what the next marker would be. And I found it very motivating, whereas Quentin looking at the same markers felt very demotivated by like the amount of change between marker to marker. So at the end of the stage one from Bilalba, we arrived in this small city called Bamonde. And here is where you will find the 99.99 kilometer marker instead of the 100 kilometer. So in order to get your Compostela or your certificate of completion at the end of your journey, starting from the 100 kilometer marker, you need to get two stamps a day. So when we check into a hotel that's already for sure guaranteed one stamp. And then at some point during the day when we stop at a cafe or when there's a church, for example, we always made sure that we got an extra stamp. That day started off with a lot of highway walking, which is really not fun. But then you enter this beautiful mossy forest and it's the beginning of fall and it was just a very magical place. It really felt like I was in some Celtic legend or something. And there were old stone ruins, moss and ferns everywhere. And the ferns were just starting to change color. And Quentin is a huge sucker for this kind of aesthetic. Yes, I am. I love a <laughs> uh, Celtic looking forest. And surprisingly, when we reached the destination for the day, which is Miraz, we ran into our friend Sue. So we had originally met Sue many, many days ago, and at this point, maybe weeks ago, at the Campania del Abuelo Puerto. She was in one of the bottom bunks and we started talking. She's a walker from England. And because Sue is one of these walkers who took very infrequent full day breaks, by the time we arrived, we actually caught up with her because she was walking so much. So it was so nice to see actually a familiar face. I thought that it was over for us. We had left our moving village behind due to the bus, but I was just so happy to see Sue. Yeah, it was really a highlight of that day. And when Juan mentions arriving in Miraz, Miraz is not a city. It is not even a village. It is barely a hamlet. It is three houses. <laughs> um, oh, and lots of cows, though, and but, sheep. Yeah, but cows do not a supermarket make. So... <laughs> In the morning, because the day before we had to carry a lot of food and it was really heavy, we took a bit of a gamble on that day and we did not buy food before leaving because of that weight and we were hoping we'd find some food options on the way. 
Thankfully, there was one small grocery store run by an albergue on the way. And then once we arrived at our albergue called Albergue o Abrigo, it actually had a restaurant, a very nice one as well, by, uh, by the local standards. So all in all, we had no issues with the food. But in this area of the Camino del Norte, again, there's so few options that you're always a bit afraid, a bit stressed about finding food options near you. One funny thing about the albergue is that it had this large group of Swedish ladies that had apparently booked one of the uh, big dorm rooms. We were in a private room again. This is one case when an albergue was offering a private room option. And this group of Swedish ladies were just all over the place. We saw them a couple times later. But if you hear a banging in the background of episode 19, that's them. It's them slamming the doors in the albergue. <laughs> Try to remove that in the audio editing. It was really hard to actually do this. <laughs> so I wasn't able to do so. After the stop, we pushed to Sobrado dos Monses. At the cold morning, we started early-ish in the morning, because again, the Swedish ladies kind of were on their way anyway, so they kind of woke us up. And the morning was really quite cold, the coldest we've had on the Camino. And it actually made us walk so much faster. Because of that, we completed about 25 kilometers before 4 p.m. When the day before, we only had 15 kilometers, and it took us about the same amount of time. The walk was nothing particularly special, but there was one unexpected watering hole. Some old lady just had her kitchen, was just running out a sort of makeshift cafe out of her kitchen. You're surrounded by her farm, so you had like dogs, cows, chickens, and cats and whatnot. And by the time we got there, there was already a large group of German dads who were not only <laughs> drinking beer, as German dads do, but they were even drinking some sort of grandpa liquor, some sort of schnapps that the lady from the house had like brought from a cellar. I don't know. They were having a great time. I should clarify, they were like so dad vibes. Uh, some of the walkers had those glasses that had the clip on flip up sunglasses shades. You know what I'm talking about. My dad has those. Yeah. And they were rocking these and getting drunk at like 10 a.m. Absolutely. Every dad has those. That's how you become a dad. And altogether, they were having a great time. But it seemed that they were definitely on a different journey than us. And that's completely okay. <laughs> When we stopped for water breaks, they just pulled out cans of beer. Yeah, we saw them later on the path, again, having more beer. I don't know, like, they were carrying it, I suppose. We also met Michelle and Dika uh, at this random cafe. They're a Franco-German couple. We bumped into them a couple more times later, and they were just very nice to talk to. The highlight of the day was, of course, at the end of the day, we arrived in the town of Sobrado dos Montes, which was built around this very old monastery. It was absolutely worth it to visit if we did not have COVID or had not had COVID. And at the time, we would have stayed at the albergue. So if you're listening to this and you don't have an infectious disease or didn't just recently recover from one, highly recommend that you book a stay within the monastery. It looked awesome. We had to pay to go in and visit and walk around, but even that was worth it. But we saw the pilgrim accommodations and they were sweet. So we visited gorgeous cloisters. We saw the church and in its many different iterations, because it was actually founded in 952. As an American, this type of timeline, like, I can't even fathom that this church was founded over a thousand years ago. And you can really tell the progression of architecture. It was kind of an amalgamation of different architectural styles throughout the time, culminating in this spectacular Baroque chapel. 
And the brothers of the monastery were working brothers, right? They were wor- working at the little gift shop. They spoke many different languages. They were quite excited to share. And because this is a Cistercian monastery, it's self-funded. So the brothers were selling food items and such made by other monasteries in their network. So, of course, monk brewed beer, monk brewed cheeses, and we bought some, I think, nun-made cookies. And that was really cool. It's just so different to see people having this type of lifestyle and profession in 2022. So because we arrived in town quite early, I was so happy that we actually had the chance and the energy to go visit such a wonderful site. The next day, we started our journey quite early in the morning. Again, it was quite chilly, so we walked pretty briskly. And our goal that day was to hit up a small town called Guimel. The main event that day was we again ran into people who we had met many, many days ago. We ran into Ifo from the Netherlands and his walking buddy Lap, who's from Hong Kong. And Ifo and Lap, this is their second Camino. They did the Camino Frances a few years ago and decided to do it again together, but do the Camino del Norte. And we had met them in Deba, which is day five of our Camino journey. So that was really cool to see them and catch up again. And I didn't even recognize Ifo in the beginning because he had, like Quentin, grown out his facial hair for this journey. So he looked totally different. And by this point, they had acquired a new friend, Leonard, on the road from Germany. And also Lap was just totally over the Camino experience because he was just very exhausted. Now, we chose Guimel because it is actually an alternative path to Santiago instead of going to Arzua. Arzua is the main stop, and we would have joined with the Camino Frances people on that day. But because we wanted a bit more quiet of an experience, and we wanted to, again, stay at an albergue that had a private room and private bathroom, we decided to go on this alternative path. And this path actually shaved off eight kilometers, which we didn't anticipate. We ended up staying at the Twin Pines Albergue, which is the only pilgrim accommodation in this area and on this alternative path. There are some fancy hotels, which we'll talk about later, but this is the really the only option that we had. And starting this day, I was already thinking about saying goodbye to the Camino and preparing myself mentally for that. After a night in Goimil, we made our way to Lavacoya, which is the last stop before Santiago. And for us, the day, the walking itself was uneventful. I would say one godsend of the day was Casa Rico de Medin. A few kilometers after Goimil, this is a beautiful hotel where we sort of just saw it on the path and we're really gagging for a coffee at this point. And it is a beautiful hotel with a fully equipped cafe and some really, really fancy bathrooms. Now, this sounds like a little detail, but again, as a pilgrim, you are constantly going to the bathroom in different places, you know, in albergues, in pensions, in restaurants and whatnot. You do not have your own bathrooms. And very often, especially in those small villages, in those little volunteer-run albergues and whatnot, the bathroom quality is just not there. Very often, there's no soap, as we mentioned earlier, is just a bit dingy, a bit old, a bit dirty. But this, at Casa Rico de Medin, everything was spotless, so beautiful. I felt like a prince. I felt incredible. It was really uh, a very important stop for us that day. 
After a little stop, we just continued on the path, and this was a great time for us to discuss what we've learned on the path, how we feel. We had a, a really heart-to-heart -heart between Juan and I, because it was just the two of us. Again, this was the alternative path with very few people use. We didn't see anyone until we actually joined back with the Camino Frances. So this was a great opportunity to just kind of reminisce and start making a bit of a summary of what we learn and sort of starting digesting some of the lessons we've learned along the way. After that, we uh, eventually joined the Camino Frances just for the last few kilometers or so. And suddenly we got way more people. What was surprising is that on the Camino del Norte, because things are relatively solitary, when you meet with people, I would say it's pretty common to like exchange a few words or at least uh, talk a bit or at the very least say buen camino to one another, which is the standard greeting. But here, the people that were on the Camino Frances, there were way more of them, but they were also much more focused and I would say kind of solitary. Many people had earbuds in or were listening to something on their phone. There was just no conversation going between groups. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. I'm just saying it's a very different feel from the Norte, which was much more, uh, you know, you talk to people next to you by default because there's just not that many of you. Here, people were here for one thing and one thing only. It was reaching Santiago de Compostela. But we made our way to Lavacoya, no problem, which is about 10 kilometers away from Santiago. So we're really close. At this point, I was personally entirely fed up with Spanish food. It is, it's not that it's bad, but I just, I find it lacks a bit in variety. I've actually been a bit disappointed in some of the food options we've encountered. There's some very good restaurants in Spain, but the ones we had seen for the past few days were just basic sandwiches and basic tortillas. And after a while, you just get a tire of that. Lavacoya, we ordered a pizza, which was the closest thing we could get to like an exotic meal, but it was much needed for the mental again. And one little thing we can mention about Lavacoya is that it is a historic point on the Camino because it was meant normally to be the place where you wash yourself before going to Santiago to sort of appear clean not only of spirit but also of body. There are some competing etymologies as to what Lavacoya means. Some people say, oh, it comes from lavar, which is to clean oneself, and collar, which would be the, the neck, which get like, like a collar. Other people say there's lavar and koya would be more the testicles and it would be more about <laughs> washing your own scrotum. I don't know which one is true because in French that could also work because neck in French would be cou and testicle in a rude way in French would be couille. So it could be either. <laughs> in our case, it was quite cold and I did not necessarily want to go for an exhibitionism moment. So we just... Cuffed a bit of water in our hand, and we just washed the back of our necks really briefly. Right. And also at this point, there were so many pilgrims. I cannot imagine anyone pulling down their pants to have a dip. It was also quite cold. At this point, the water is frigid. Maybe <laughs> in the summer, I could see, you know, I could see giving it a try, but not in October. Okay. Like Quentin said, La Bacoya is about 10 kilometers from Santiago. So the next morning, it was go time. I woke up and my heart was just pounding frantically because I knew, just like I knew when my brother was born, you know, that day, it was a very momentous day and my life was going to be different. So we woke up, we packed up and we decided to make the last kilometers with no stops at all. 
But actually, it felt really, really long. There were so many people, including an entire classroom of teenagers for some reason, but they were all making their way to Santiago. The morning was quite foggy, and there was no clear sign of Santiago. So you can't really see the city except for one spot, maybe four-ish kilometers before you reach Santiago. And you walk through the suburbs and modern areas of the city of Santiago before you can reach the old town, which is only about the last kilometer. So yes, there's a giant cathedral in Santiago, of course, our destination, but you really don't get a glimpse of that until the very, very end. For me, I was really a little bit dragging my feet, I think because we had not taken a break at all during the last 120 kilometers, we were worn out and everything hurt and I was just focused on making my way to the end. And I didn't even like cry or anything like that until I bumped into Sue again, which was about 300 meters from the cathedral. I saw her and immediately all of my emotions came flooding back and I just started sobbing. She gave us both a hug. Oh my gosh, getting emotional just thinking about this. Because this is not Sue's first Camino, but she just said, you are so close, you're almost there. I'm going to give you both a hug. And she did. And there's a sense of immense relief, accomplishment, and it just didn't even feel real. When you walk under this arch (laughs) with an endless stream of bagpipers, (laughs) you walk into the main square where the cathedral is. It opens up to an entire square filled with pilgrims who are in various stages of elation and exhaustion. And it's just an incredible energy. And uh, it was a life-changing snapshot in time. So I'm a crier, obviously. (laughs) I I am not. uh, I thought I would cry. I did not end up crying uh, that much, which is completely okay. We all process our emotions the same. I think for me, at that moment, I just mostly sent... I just mostly felt a sense of relief, but I did not really felt a sense of doneness until later. Uh, later this weekend because we stayed there for a couple of days but all in all the energy on that main square with all the pilgrims was absolutely incredible there was the sense of solidarity and the sense of you've done it and the sense of it's hard to describe it's one of those things that you really cannot describe easily i'm sure that's something maybe that i don't know marathon runners feel when they get to the end of a marathon or something like that there's a camaraderie that just comes from it that you cannot really put into words, to be honest. And sorry for the cliffhanger, but we're going to keep it there for our in-flight entertainment section. We're going to keep uh, our time in Santiago for the next episode, discuss a bit more what's going to happen after you arrive and where we've gone after this. But for now, we're just going to bask in the feeling of accomplishment after arriving. Yeah. Still stop. Still stop. <laughs> I will never get over it. <laughs> That's okay. So how about we talk turbulence instead? What happened this week that did not go according to plan? I will start for this one so Juan can get back to her feelings. For me, in terms of turbulence, nothing major, as we've explained, you sort of like just kept going, kept going, kept going. I would say the only issue is the, scarci- the scarcity of food that I mentioned because... Between Vialba and Arzua, I would say, 
you just do not get food options. You just do not get a lot of supermarkets. There's maybe one or two places you can stop and you have to know where they are or like you have to hope that you find them and that you have to hope that they are open. I have mentioned before that between the siesta and the Sundays and the local fiestas due to some local saint, you can have areas where everything is closed for like several days. So it can be very hard. We turned out okay, we didn't have any issues, but that's something we had to keep in mind. And on top of that, I would say just the the fact that we walked for 120 kilometers without a break, like a day of break. Normally, we would take a break every four or five days or so. Here, we walked seven days without interruption. So that was really pushing us to our limits. Yes, the last day was only the 10 kilometers, but these ones were particularly tough because of all the people, the energy makes it actually quite hard to really keep going. How about you, my love? For me, I would say after recovering from COVID, doing day-to-day things was no change. I didn't feel any different. And walking on flat ground or flat terrain, I was doing just fine. But the first few uphills were extremely rough. I didn't realize how much effort it was to breathe and I just was not used to that and maybe my lungs weren't fully recovered. So I had a lot of trouble those first few days and especially the first few climbs. My first one, I think I had to pause halfway up this hill to sit down because I could not catch my breath. So that was really difficult. But then eventually it got better. I think I had to stop on that first uphill as well. After a bit after Vialba, we were both just like, how? What is happening? It's It was a very gentle slope yeah it wasn't even a hill (laughs) yeah the struggle was real after recovering from covid so that is not too much in terms of turbulence but what about flying high and boy did we fly high this week so for me of course it was arriving in santiago as you heard earlier i can't even think about that moment without just breaking down and bumping to sue and all of that it just felt really good that we were still with part of our moving village and you quinton i think for me obviously arriving in santiago bumping into sue was an incredible moment and i still to this day i'm still kind of trying to find the words to explain how it felt but it was incredibly positive moment but the other one i want to mention is bumping into benji sofia and then later carl and leslie in luarca i don't know if we really sold just how random it was at this point we had said goodbye to benji sofia and sven who was still traveling with them with the expectation we would not see them again because we were going to we separated a bit before ihan because we were going to go stay in Ijon a bit, then go to Aviles, and then, you know, continue, and we'd be a couple days in front of them. But then COVID happened, we ended up in quarantine, so we completely lost track as to where they were. We had no idea where they were, and they had no idea where we were. So we stopped with that bus in Luarca for two hours, again, completely randomly in this Luarca town. We could have stopped at another one, but this was the most convenient. And over this two hours, we just walked out of the bus. We walked for two minutes and we see Benji at, on the other side of the street, like waving at us. It was completely surreal. It was like seeing someone coming back from the dead. It was really <laughs> cool. Like, not that I, you know. 
what an analogy question. You know what I mean? Like, I was just straight up not expecting, like, Benji and Sophia, they live in Germany, we live in America. I was not expecting to see these people until we would have maybe arranged to meet in a few months, you know. And they're going to travel to uh, Australia and New Zealand very soon. So we're not going to see them for a while and yet we were able to bump into them. So that was really a, a, an uplifting moment because I've been a bit, um, I feel like the Camino, the Camino we provide has not always worked out for us. So when it does work out like this, it's a very enjoyable feeling. And to wrap up this week again, we have a listener question from my friend Asta. She asks us, now that you're almost done, what was the most cherished moment in your journey? So darling, do you want to start? Sure, I'll start. For me, I think it's the quiet moments with Quentin where we can just talk and work through our feelings. Quentin and I, for those of you who don't know and are new listeners instead of our friends or family who subscribed and listen, we have been together for over 10 years and that's a long time to be with someone. But in that 10 years, we were hustling very hard, working all the time and did not actually have that much time together of just being with one another in an uninterrupted way and just talk and feel and be in the moment. So just having these moments of enjoying each other's company, of enjoying our growth as people together has been, you know, the best. Oh, God, I'm really emotional. <laughs> has been has been the most cherished moments of this journey. Whew. On a lighter note, because we chose the Camino del Norte, of course, one of the reasons is because we love coastal scenery. So after many, many hours of walking, maybe not along the coast, and then the vista opens up to the ocean, that feeling is really glorious. And when the weather's nice and to be able to jump into the ocean, those are also really, really nice moments. And towards the end, especially when things got very sparse on the road, finding a cafe or a bar or a grocery store, finding anything that is open or even a vending machine <laughs> felt incredible. It just felt like a big gift from the world. So those are my probably most cherished moments. What about you, my love? It's hard to choose. First of all, Obviously, I want to talk about those contemplative moments too, but compared to Juan, I sound like a robot when I talk about them because <laughs> she's much more emotionally in tune, I guess. I don't know. But for me, those moments of reflection, uh, either the two of us or by ourselves, were very important as well. That's, of course, one of the core ideas behind the Camino. You really take the time to be in your own head or, in our case, because we're traveling the two of us together, sort of discuss our relationship and the things we've learned. And it's not even that we've necessarily changed anything about, you know, the way we think or the way we approach, but we've just, we've just managed to put in words, concepts and ideas that maybe we didn't have. We only had like a nebulous idea of beforehand. So I think it was really, really important and really beneficial for us to do this. And on the lighter note as well, for me, what I would really add to what Juan said is the moments of friendship. I've said this before, there is a level of camaraderie you get on that Camino that 
I have never felt in any other thing that I've done before. So when you end up having like an afternoon or an evening with people that you have met on the Camino, that have become your friends due to the circumstances, but also because you start getting along with people very easily. You know, a few weeks ago, we stopped at this monastery, not the one in Sobrado, the other one in Zenaruza, and we were staying the whole afternoon there, just chatting away, playing a bit of music, doing some art, exchanging with all those different people that we were meeting. Ted and Sam were there, Paolo was there. That's where we met Benji and Sophia, I believe. Uh, a lot of other people were there. We just had this amazing sense of community. And I really like that. For me, that was really a highlight. I think that sense of community or recognizing the personhood in each person that you meet is really special because when you're on the Camino, you're stripped basically of all the material things, right? Everyone looks basically terrible and exhausted. So they're just really paired back to purely who they are as people on this journey. And the friendships, they really extend national borders. Like we had friends from all over the world. They extend through age groups as well. You know, I would say we met friends from their teens to their 70s. And profession, you know, we almost we don't even really talk about what people do for a living and we're just with there with one another and we're talking about things that are quite deep or quite personal very quickly and that's really special absolutely i think all in all if there's one way to wrap it all together to explain what we're talking about i think we can summarize it as gratefulness you just have read the sense of gratefulness of being around like-minded people being around people who are here to help you or just spend a bit of their time with you, grateful for the cafes that are open, grateful for the landscapes you get to discover, grateful for the things you learn. There's a saying on the Camino that goes, the tourist requires, the pilgrim appreciates, or the pilgrim is grateful. And I really understand where it comes from because at this point, by the time you're done with your Camino, spending just a few minutes with a friend just having a coffee in a terrace, all of these start to really become truly special moments. And I hope we can carry that energy in the rest of our lives. And that's a really good way to sum up this episode. So next week, we'll tell you all about the actual city of Santiago de Compostela and what's it like after you arrive and then going to, quote unquote, the end of the world and our well-deserved break in Porto afterwards. In the meantime, don't hesitate to follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. Or to reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.